Well, good morning. My name is not David. Now, I was afraid you might look at me and say, David really was sick that first Sunday, wasn't he? You know, it's kind of strange because that day that I preached, I had 24 hours notice. And I wasn't nearly as nervous as I am today when I've had a month's notice. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, I started to select a coat to kind of match David's. Actually, the story was my wife and I were in Target and we saw some male onesies. <laughs> yeah, there was a snowman. I would have looked like Olaf if I'd worn that. Uh, a snowman, there was an elf, there was Santa Claus. And thankfully, Liz was smart enough to look at me and go, no. <laughs> and then we had the idea, well, I'd just take pictures of me trying them on and put them on the screens. And again, the word was, no. And I think she was right. Smart thing. But I do, ha you can't see it. I wish there was some way I could show you. I have on a Santa Claus tie. I'd least to have a Santa Claus tie on. So uh, it was better than the Marvin Martian tie that I selected. So, um, but this morning as we come together, we think about those scriptures that come to mind as we prepare for Christmas. The ones you've always heard, we've always heard that have been used in sermons that are a part of the Christmas Eve service. And so we remember the words that says, when Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, are the words that say, God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary. Are the stories of the angels appearing to the shepherds or the wise men approaching. Those from Matthew and Luke seem to come to mind easily and quickly. But this morning, I want us to share a different Christmas story. It's from a different gospel. And we don't often associate it with Christmas. And if you'd like to follow as I read, it's from John, the Gospel of John, the first chapter, uh, the 14th through the 18th verses, and there are a few Bibles, and it's on page 1647 or uh, on your device, your phone, if you've got it there, or your own Bibles or whatever. But follow along with me as I read this third Christmas story, if you will. The Word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, crying out, This is the one whom I said, He who comes after me is greater than me, because he existed before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. As the law was given through Moses, so grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. God, the only Son who is at the Father's side, has made known God to us. May God bless the reading of the Holy Word. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, and the deeds of our lives be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. The Word became flesh. The incarnation, God present in the flesh. Or as one little girl described to me, he says, Jesus is God with flesh. Jesus is God with a face. One of my favorite Christmas songs that I heard several years ago is that song, Mary, Did You Know? And I love that part where it comes to it. It says, Mary, did you know when you kissed your little baby that you kissed 
the face of God. This is God with a face, with flesh on. This in the Gospels of, of Matthew and Luke, John says to us once again, God makes his home with us. His home with us. It's not a tabernacle, a tent that's constructed in a specific and special way that's got this holy of holies and the, the priest can only go into once a year. And it's not like the temple, this great enormous building with different portions that are allowed certain people here and certain people there and God is somehow in the center. It's not like the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke or, or the words from the burning bush. It's not like any of those images of God. Instead, this is God with us as one of us. God has come to make his home with us, to be in our home and a part of our family, not a visitor or a guest, but one of us, a part of us, to tell us and let us know we are a part of God's family. We see in that baby, in that child, in Mary's son, the face of God, the glory of God. I remember when I was a child, we had a nativity set in our house. And it really, I found out later, was older than I am. And as a part of that nativity set, of course, there was the, the baby Jesus in the manger. But around it was this little aluminum foil, gold-colored halo that radiated trying to remind us that here in this child we have seen the glory of God the light of God this is the child of God full of grace and full of truth grace and truth together in one they're two sides of the same coin really you can't separate the two you can't have one without the other it's like I was told in seminary by a professor when he was trying to describe this kind of relationship we've had with God he said it's justice mercy just one word justice mercy because you can't separate the justice of God from the mercy of God the word became flesh and God has done in Jesus the Christ what God has always wanted to do has promised to do to be with us to be among us that we would be together God wants has always wanted us to know him <coughs> as in the beginning David a few weeks ago mentioned the story of Genesis and about Adam and Eve walking in the garden and this incredible story, if you can imagine, the most beautiful garden you've ever seen, the most pastoral scene you've ever been a part of, and God comes to that garden to meet Adam and Eve, to walk with them, to have fellowship with them. That's why we were made. That was the purpose of our creation, to be with God. It says in another place, we are to dwell with God. Now, that's more than cohabitation, <laughs> That means we are to have this bond, this togetherness, this relationship for which we were created to dwell with God. And yet in all this grace and all this love that's extended to us, we can never forget that God is the ruler. David reminded us of that last week. God is the ruler, which means God makes the rules. God is responsible, but in that moment of creation, God gives us responsibility, gives us work to do, and holds us accountable. There is truth and righteousness 
God has made those rules, and the rules still apply. They haven't changed. Uh, There's not a version 2.0 of the Ten Commandments, as far as I know. There's still rules to live by and consequences if we don't. Started out with just two rules. That's pretty simple. You know, two rules. Don't eat that tree from that tree and don't eat from that tree. I saw how that turned out. We still struggle to obey. And there's still just two rules. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisee, what are, what are the most important rules of all the 657-something laws and rules? What are the most important ones? And Jesus' response was, there's just two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a little issue of self-control and, and, and control involved in this. So immediately the reaction from the Pharisee was, well, okay, who's my neighbor? Because <laughs> there's some people I don't love. Certainly there's some allowance in there, God. We still struggle to obey. We're still tempted. We still struggle. And there are still consequences. So the question may be, well, then where is our hope? Are we no better off than Adam and Eve? Are we still stuck in the same moment? And the answer to that is in this song, Joy to the World, he rules with truth and grace. Truth, the law, the rules that still apply, but with grace that gives us hope. There is the hope. There's our hope for someday a peace within us and a peace with God and a peace in this world. For we have seen in the Christ grace, as John would say, upon grace. Overflowing, abundant. We're never in arrears with our account of grace. The fountain of grace never runs dry. It's the fulfillment of the old covenant with the new covenant. Wondrous love, abundant grace, grace and truth together because one without the other is not complete. If we just had grace, if grace was all God required of us or gave to us with no rules, then we'd be spoiled kids. Because we can know, I can do whatever I want to. And he's going to forgive me. I don't have to worry about it. If there's no consequences, why bother? And so we would live with no order and chaos. But also, there's grace and truth. We have order and we have grace. Um, I'm sure every child has heard these words. We probably heard them as children. Uh, I'm sure that they, they've been told this by parent, grandparent, somebody to point to the to heater. You remember now, I, I'm old enough, I remember the old Dearborn gas heaters, you know, we used to have in the house. Uh, I'm sure there's other than the stove, you can name any number of these things. I even heard someone tell me a story about uh, a lawnmower and the manifold on it. <laughs> but where we tell children, we say, don't touch that. Why? It's hot. It will burn you. 
And the two sides of God that we hear, the, the image we see here of truth and grace, one is the truth. Where a parent can say when, when a child does what a child does and touch what's hot and gets burned, say, well, tough, you chose. You got burned, tough, suffer. You know, you knew the rules, now bear the consequence. Or there's the grace side. You knew the rules, you burned your hand, so here is the medicine, and here is the bandage, and I forgive you. I forgive you. It reminds me of my little grandson who's a little over two. Everything in his life that hurts him, he thinks can be solved by a Band-Aid. <laughs> so anytime he bumps his head, anything, he wants a bandage on it. No broken skin or anything, but give me a Band-Aid and I'm okay. It's like the story that was told to me years ago about the father who was a judge. And he put on his robes and he stood and then sat in the bench, the seat of justice, and looked up and the defendant that day was his son. And they went through the trial and the jury declared his son guilty. And when it came time to pronounce sentence, he stepped down from the bench, he took off his robe, he stood by his son, and he accepted his son's sentence himself. Truth and grace. What we seek, this peace we want with God is the way it was, it's the way it can be, and our message today and the message of the gospel is this is the way it will be, peace. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others, living in this wondrous love of God at peace, at peace. It's knowing that God alone knows enough to make the rules. We're not that smart. As a member of the cabinet, we were always making rules and policies and doing things, and we always suffered from this law, the law of unintended consequences. God's not plagued by that because God knows. And so what are we to do? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus to be at peace with God, but to trust and obey. Living in the wondrous love of God, who knows us, who became one of us. Uh, it's like parents know their children. It's like parents have wisdom that oftentimes we don't realize till we're in our 20s. You know, it's amazing. I, I think someone said one time, our parents go to school because from the time we're born until the time we're 22, they learn so much. It, it makes me think about uh, a time when my son, Patrick, who's a good friend of David's, they grew up together, went to A&M together, and uh, Patrick had got the car of his dreams. We had bought him a Jeep. The reason it was the car of his dreams and why he wanted the Jeep was so that he could go mudding. Y'all know what mudding is? It's where you go out and instead of avoiding getting stuck in the mud, you revel in it, you spin around in it, you get it all over the car and all over everybody around. And he immediately said to, to me, Dad, he said, uh, 
several of us are going out and we're gonna go mudding this weekend. And I said, no, don't think so. Um, I wasn't smart enough at that point to explain why, but I just said, no, well, a few days later I came home and I noticed that his car was parked in the garage. Now he never did that. And it was also parked really close over to one side. And so I looked at the car and I noticed that on the back bumper of the passenger side, just, just right at the curve of the bumper there, there was this big clot of red clay mud. The light went on. So I went in the house and I said, Patrick, did you and your friends have a good time mudding? And he looked at me like, how did you know? And I said, well, there's a big clump of mud on the back of your bumper. And he said, yeah, I ran out of quarters. And I told him, I said, Patrick, just remember this. It's what my father told me, that there's nothing you can do or think about doing that I haven't done or thought about doing. God knows everything. God knows all about us. God is our creator. And the truth may scare us until we realize that grace abounds. God loves us. That's what brings us peace. That's what brings us a sense of peace with God and ourselves and others. It's a gift that God gave us at Christmas. And then the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't earn it, but we can accept it. We can receive it. Where dear souls still receive him. We can receive this grace of God. So let's ask ourselves some questions this year as we prepare for Christmas. Does the wondrous love of God live in me and through me? Does the grace and truth of God live in me and through me? Is the word incarnate in me, in the flesh? And do others see it? Have I received the peace of God? Have I chosen truth and grace? He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. Gracious God, may we choose your truth and grace. May we live in your peace. For in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.